and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And we come to you with our 53rd episode in the Stephen King saga, which means we're into year two. <laughs> How does it feel? Exhausting. Exhausting? No, actually it's been fun. It's been fun. It's only been... Difficult when we run into a movie that's just so difficult to watch. Generally, there's films where, at least like, for instance, with Graveyard Shift, there was entertaining things going on with that film, as ridiculous as it was. And then sometimes you're into a movie like The Mangler, where there's almost nothing to recommend. It's just (laughs) awful. And Uh, looking at the... We're we're over halfway through. Uh-huh. For the time being, because it's expanding yes, as we speak. I know. I just saw that they're doing Lisey's story as an Apple TV option. Uh so yeah, the the hits keep coming, as yeah. they say. And uh Steve uh, we're recording um on October it's not October. Feels like October. It's been a very long year. We're uh-huh. recording on April twenty first, and Stephen King's most recent book has come out. Uh-huh. So he doesn't stop. The producers of Hollywood don't stop. Well, he's a he's a successful gamble. Yes, that's true. I mean, it's you can turn a profit with an audience that he's created. That is that is true, and more and more people are. Wanting to take swings at things that they think weren't maybe done successfully before. So, well, yeah. I and he's, if this will is, be one of them. This is his 93rd book. Mm-hmm. Wow. Is that right? He's really prolific. Oh, he's written more than 100 things, but I mm-hmm. think that is, yes, I believe that is right. But for today, well, do you want to talk about your week or is it? Well, let's talk about your week. I don't have anything to say about my week. <laughs> what do I? I'm sorry. No, it's fine. <laughs> what, what? You asked me that, that, like I'm forgetting something. No, I'm Am I forgetting just, uh, something. I'm it's sure entirely possible. You've done lots of stuff. I have. I made muffins. You made wonderful muffins. There you go. They were delicious. They were chocolate muffins with a hint of banana flavor. That's right. The, the chocolate... I don't like banana muffins, so I added chocolate. There and were then so many chocolate, chocolate pieces. It was practically a chocolate center. Yeah. And it was wonderful. It was pretty good. They yeah. came out pretty good. Good. Not banana-y at all. Mm-mm. It's a win. It's kind of like carrot cake. I don't <laughs> taste the carrots. I'm fine with that. Carrot cake is good. Better than banana. And I've she, got pumpkin in there. I could do pumpkin It would probably things. taste the same without the without the, the carrots at all. But um, yes, I have discovered in my quarantine that I have uh, instructional DVDs from Soke Takuki Kubota. And I thought... You haven't discovered that. You've remembered that. <laughs> well, I knew that. I, I was just thinking, I don't have time to go out and do stuff, but I have all these these DVDs by him, these instructional DVDs. What is the what is the martial art form that this gentleman he does? He does Gosoko Ryo Karate, karate, which is a form of karate that he founded. He's a person with an amazing lineage. He has black belts in judo, Aikido, Karate, Kendo, and Iado. So he's, I don't know what the last thing you said was. It's uh, the quick draw with the sword. <laughs> and he's a very interesting character. He's very eccentric. He's very dangerous as well. If Seems you watch like. a, a movie like The Hunted, he'll show up for two or three minutes where he enjoys being a stuntman doing karate things in films like um, Rising Sun. He's a very strange guy. Is he still with us or has he passed? Yeah, absolutely. He's 85 years old. 
Ooh, stay inside. He is still practices. <laughs> still practices kicking with a grown man sitting on his shoulders. Still punches a welded steel plate to strengthen his knuckles. So he's, these seem like bad ideas. He's a very ferocious man. So. I hope he's not practicing that first one at the moment. He needs the social distance. Yeah, well, there we go. Maybe he the, should be. He, his body might be strong, but viruses can also be strong. Right. Do not underestimate. Well, hopefully, Soke Kaboto will be with us. But I've discovered. Is he in Japan? He's in Glendale, California. Oh, nice. As, as the video tells us, <laughs> um, which is probably why he's in the movies so often. Yes, that but, makes um, perfect sense. Yeah, I uh, I was watching one of his instructional videos and realized that I could not keep up with this. At the time, he was only in his 70s uh, when he did this DVD in his class. It's like, oh, Lord, I'm winded, and he's just going. You know, like, mm-hmm. uh, like um, a Meanwhile, machine, I so. go from the couch to the refrigerator, and I'm like, <gasps> right, so. I'm not sick, y'all. I'm out of shape. It's fine. Everything's fine. But I'm going to uh, spend more time with Soke Kubota and learn all of his strange and lethal moves. Every time you talk about him, I think you're talking about a delicious squash. Well, he could also be a tractor. <laughs> oh, or a, indeed. A, a lawn instrument, a lawn cutting instrument. There's a lot of different kabotas. Yeah. Not a lot of... Yeah, I'm not going to get it's into it. It's a very common name. It is a common name. <laughs> I realized that it was a defendant in one of the lawsuits that I did when I was oh, doing the law. The law. It was an asbestos thing. Don't yes, worry about you're, it. You're, you're doing the law. It's very impressive. Mm. Well, now I just get mad. You're right. All right. Do you want to talk about this movie? I don't want to talk about this movie because I enjoyed it. And I would like to apologize to Mick Garris um, because I did not have a very big, uh, great impression of him after watching The Stand. Well, he's growing, and we're right. going to still see more of him. He he's never stops never stopping. So. Yeah. We read, nope. No, we did not we read it. We <laughs> watched mm-hmm. a movie that came out in 2004 entitled Riding the Bullet. This is based on a novella that was published in 2000 as the fir- world's first mass market ebook. Wow. So, so now, this is a historical novella. Yes. So now basically every book is an ebook. But. Including mine. Yes, including yours. Uh, Ceiling Night, a psychomantium. Yes, thank you. Check it out on Amazon. But always be selling. Uh, We, it was available for download for $2.50, reasonable, because it is not a full-length novel. Right. Uh, It was nominated at the time for the Bram Stoker Award and Superior Achievement in Long Fiction and the International Horror Guild Award for Best uh, Best Long Form, which is Highly ironic, given the length of Stephen King's normal works. It was included in the collection Everything's Eventual in 2002. So if you didn't want to uh, read an ebook, then you could buy it as a book book. Uh, this was also a time when there were not a lot of ebook readers. If right. this is the first mass market ebook, then a Kindle was not a thing. And I, I, I applaud him on not being afraid of opening up new avenues for readers. Right. In the first 24 hours, 400,000 copies were downloaded, which wow. is a bananas amount Sounds sold like for a book. Sounds like everyone who had an e-reader. Well, you bought them on, you read it on your computer, which, okay. not ideal. Well, I thought, so this is even before the little tiny screens that people scroll through. In in 2000, when this book came out as an e-book, uh, there was uh, an e uh, 
e-ink was a thing. It was uh, founded in uh, 1997. But the first handheld reader for books only wasn't mm-hmm. until 2004. That was the Sony Libri or Library. Uh, it was released in 2004. Then in 2006, there was a Sony Reader and then the Amazon Kindle uh, in 2007, which really pushed e-reading sort of toward the, to the forefront. Right. And at about the same time, Barnes & Noble released their version, the okay. Nook. Uh, I had one of those uh, in the late 2000s, <laughs> or, you know, late 2000 and aughts. As of the time this book was published, a lot of people were just downloading it and reading it on their computers, their desktop computers, too, because laptops were not right. as ubiquitous wow. at the time okay. either. Uh, that sounds cumbersome. It was cumbersome, and it led to not great reviews. Like, some reviews were, a lot of reviews were more about the Before delivery that. method okay. than the story itself. The New York Times, Christopher Lehman Hope, uh, read the book both in both available online formats, which was computer downloaded and an ebook supplied by the publisher neither of which permitted you to print it out. Okay. So it's not like they sent you a PDF and you could print it out and you could read it on paper. Uh, he disliked reading digital content on a backlit monitor because there was no right. concern of blue light or you know putting a black page out or any of that. Uh, and then uh, he, quote, I was also re- restlessly aware of the unusual effort it was taking to read on screen. Uh, so... That well, led delicate, him to not care very much for right. the story, and and when you're, you know, the 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 story itself is not short; it is novella mm-hmm. length. Right. So I believe it's like a hundred and well, let me see. A hundred. A novella typically is about what forty to seventy thousand words, somewhere around there. I don't know how many pages that is. Hold okay. on a second. I should just go grab my copy of Everything's Eventual. Um, And the thing is, there's not even a page count on the Wikipedia page. Okay. Uh, let me see. It was a 48-page novella. But, you know, reading yeah. on a screen, by page 20, that's going to get wary. Mm-hmm. Like, or weary. Yeah. It'll make your eyes weary. Tired. Yeah. So that, you know, but it sold a lot. Like I said, mm-hmm. 400,000 in the first book, it crashed the website that it was on. And then this movie came out. It was probably optioned immediately. Like, uh-huh. I guess, <laughs> you know, after the accident, right right in that time period, I have a feeling that if he had, a, if you had an inkling that he had a story that was coming, you paid for the yeah. options immediately, right? Because now we know that you aren't you know, infinite, so we right. can get in on this. So, um, he then made it uh, free for download from Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and he had quite a few books that were released digitally only. Um, Ur is the one that I recall, um, which was frustrating as a reader who didn't have an e-reader. 
for you, you know in in the in 2005 okay. there was no way for me to read this book like i could have downloaded it and read it on my desktop i wasn't going to do that right. that's uncomfortable so you know there was some frustration on you know as constant reader i'd love to stay constant but you are taking it out of my my realm and at that point too i was working in bookstores and like I'll never get an e-reader, and I love to cut books on my hand, and I don't ever want to lose paper. <clears throat> this is past me. Present me is, I can make this read three words to a page and read without my glasses on. Done and done. Well, what turned me into a person who's able to use a new medium, because... I mean, for heaven's sakes, I collected antiquarian books. Right. So there's a whole other layer for me. Mm-hmm. But it was something that you pointed out to me when you started, which is, I don't know if I'm going to like this book. Yeah. I don't know if it's a book I'm going to keep. Yeah. If I get an electronic copy, I can just zip through it and go, well, it's not worth actually taking up the valuable shelf space I shelf have. Shelf space. Space is a real thing. And yeah. we still have way more books than mm-hmm. most households do, I would say, probably oh, in a, in America. We have, Not necessarily right. in this part of the world, because we're in Berkeley and there are a right. lot of readers here. But, yeah, there are a lot of books in this house. And I have not bought a hard, like a, a, a book that wasn't a cookbook, uh-huh. because I do still like to have hard copies of cookbooks. Right. Or a picture book. I'll also buy art books. Um, I haven't bought a novel in years and i have several that i would like to read that i have not read yet and Mm -hmm. i find it difficult to read my eyes i'm probably edging towards needing some sort of um bifocal type situation so holding a book that close to my face not ideal falls on my face it's not great with an e-reader or on my ipad or even on my phone i can make that font very large now they do the the gray on black so it's not so harsh on your eyes i just i i have transitioned into well, reading I, I learned hardcovers are a difficult one for me because they're not really portable they're not yeah that's hard too and a, and, a three pound book is a lot to carry yeah, around and so when uh and stephen king writes nothing but three right. pound books my thing was when i uh when my dad was alive and he wasn't well, I would spend a lot of overnight visits to the hospital with him. Mm-hmm. And so a mass market paperback was just the yeah. thing to literally fit in your pocket and yeah. you could take it with you anywhere. And that is maybe why you don't read modern books. Well, um, th- <laughs> because that modern be mass markets are also too big and they right. break. Well, I remember, and this shows you how old I am, I remember when publishers started marketing trade paper. I love trade paperback. And That's my favorite. We hated it oh, because no. it was the same content, only they found a way to charge you more money for it. They did. That so is true. It was a scheme in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we hated it because we had shelf space for hardbacks and shelf space for mass, mass markets. markets. I worked at, the bookstore I worked at the time was over 100 years old. Yeah. So it, we had no idea what so to do. So all of your hardcover uh, space had to go to right. mass mar- or t- trade because it's yeah, this immediate uh, trade paperback. Oh, sorry. We're getting real inside baseball. Mass market is um, airport sized, mm-hmm. right? It's right. the smallest, cheapest version. They're typically six ninety nine, seven ninety nine, eight ninety nine. That's the price that you're looking at. Trade paperback, slightly larger, typically thinner uh-huh. because they've made you know they've made the pages bigger, but they're still five by eight. 
They're, yes. They're like the size of a piece of paper folded in half. Well, mind you, I, I, I made one, so I, yes. I, I, obviously I've come to terms with the format. And I like, that's my favorite size to read. It's the most comfortable in my hand. Mm-hmm. But once again, they don't make them that thick right. because those bindings break. With a mass market, those are meant to sort of be read once and thrown they're away. So they're spine. They're a product of the Second World War yeah. when they were put in right. with... Um, with rations mm-hmm. and stuff, you know. Well, even before that, in the yeah. five cent. Well, yeah, and they, they were really, but and those were made with a little more care. But they were always sort of second rate right. productions. Yeah, and, and lower quality paper. Yeah. They're typically on a recycled or a, mm-hmm. a pulp or pulp heavier right. paper, and then a hardcover book. Now, there used to be, I think, one size. Now there are multiple sizes of yeah. of new release hardcover books, and a lot of books. Don't get hardcover releases anymore. Yeah, they, I can they see release that. them straight to trade paper, and then maybe a mass market version. The as audiences well. for a lot of science fiction and mystery, which are produced in such huge quantities, um, don't get a lot of hardcover. No, releases you'll get anymore. yeah, and 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 I do things like I um I have I was building a Stephen King library, uh-huh. and I decided I wanted to have the Dark Tower series. But I didn't want the original hardcovers because, uh-huh. A, it, they were going to be hard and expensive, hard to right. find and expensive, and a heavy, like heavy to carry around. Uh, so I chose, they decided when they were, when they picked, when he picked up the series again and started publishing with, I think, with six, with book six, uh-huh. Song of Susanna, but it might have been even before, it might have been four, five, and six, uh, they were releasing these sort of extra large trade paper right. back books that with illustrations. And I just decided I'm going to buy all of those. And then I got them as they were released and they were released I remember not that. simultaneously mm. with the hardbacks, but less than a, it used to be that a hardback was out for a year. Right. And then the trade paper came out or the, the mass market paper would come out if it got a paperback run, which is not guaranteed also not guaranteed. To yeah. any any book, it's guaranteed to Stephen King books, but it's not really guaranteed to any. You know, there are a handful of of authors whose hardcovers are definitely going to go to paperbacks, and I'm actually almost surprised that Stephen King books still come out as hardcovers, because a lot of people like Dean Koontz sells millions of books. Almost all of his books come out directly to paperback. Hmm. Uh, and there is this weird rivalry between Stephen King fans and Dean Koontz fans and how you can't like one without the other. I'm like, they play I mean, poker together. I'm fine with liking Yeah, I don't understand that. it either. Uh, but all that to say, you know, these books are now all available in multiple versions, also at your library. Also, if you don't, if you can't, first of all, we can't go to our libraries these days. But if you have a library card, a lot of times you can get free ebooks. Via your library, and which that's is something awesome. I'm looking to explore when I have yeah. a little bit more room. But all that to say, this book became a movie, uh-huh. and this movie was released in theaters. This is not a this is not a TV movie. Nope. So, uh, and we know that with the opening shot. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. Just boobs right off the right bat. At the, the opening shot of this film is a young and very healthy naked girl sitting as an art model. And we pull back from her to um, the characters who are artists. Yes. 
And so art, the, students. art students, and in that shot, that just establishes, well, here we are. Yeah, we're, we're not in a TV movie. on the big screen. Yeah. Directed by Mick Garris, mm-hmm. uh, who, of course, we've seen before, and we will see again. again. Yeah. Uh, the It was released on October 15th, 2004. I have literally no recollection of this movie coming out. Oh. Uh, I was here, and I was working in the bookstore at the time. Oh, it didn't make a lot of money at the box office. It made $134,000. Was it even released? I gotta go to box office mode now. It's possible it wasn't actually released wide. The widest release was 108 theaters. It opened in 100 theaters and made $1,000 per, basically. Well, it's what, um, and I can understand some of the issues with it, but it's actually a very stylish and beautifully crafted movie, which is, again, why I'm surprised, because I've watched Mick Garris evolve from film to film to film, but this one, whereas, as I mentioned, The Stand had often shots of people just talking to each other um, and yeah, not there was particularly more well staged. Visual there was a happened. lot of visual progressions. We have the main character hitchhiking down a road, and we just faded out to him at different positions on the road. Yeah. And, and the photography itself was really gorgeous. So that weekend, it opened up mm-hmm. against Shark Tale. No, it didn't. It opened again. <laughs> Opening that weekend was Team America World Police and Shall We Dance, uh, which were three and four for the box office. Shark Tale was in its third week, and Friday mm-hmm. Night Lights was also it was in its second week, and that was one and two at the box office. So that's what it was coming out against. Uh, also in the theaters, the taxi with Queen Latifah and Jimmy Fallon in it. Do you remember that? I have no idea that actually existed. Oh, yeah. That's a real thing. So there's all kinds of... Yes. So that is that is what that is what is happening in the... Uh, in what, the right. What was contemporary with this film. Yeah. And it, like I said, it was released in only 100 theaters. L- Large-scale releases are in 3,000. So mm-hmm. that feels like... L.A., New York, San Francisco, maybe. Right. Maybe Chicago. Um, so maybe that's why I did not know it was a thing, because it was a small release. It stars one, I'm going to mess it up, Jonathan Jackson, who is, I need to be very clear, not Joshua Jackson, <laughs> though he is a white male of about the same age. I really have to say the performances in this, in this movie, in particular the lead actor, were very good. Mm-hmm. Being that it's he's not um, he's not a appealing character in some ways. Yeah, that's right. So Jonathan Jackson is a is an actor whose name I hear fairly regularly mm-hmm. and can never remember because Joshua Jackson. It's all yeah. Joshua Jackson's fault. Um, he has been on General Hospital for nigh on 20 years. Right. He's been in 367 episodes of General Hospital. Uh, he apparently is no longer in that. He was also in that Nashville TV show, which I mm-hmm. did not watch, um, and that Terminator TV show, the, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, mm-hmm. which I wanted to watch, but I don't think I ever really got into that either. So those are his... May, but he's a working actor. It's not his fault that I f- screw up his name, his name constantly. He's a pretty bland. 
he's a pretty bland presence in this particular. He's not bad. He's just doesn't seem quite there, which kind of lends this sort of, is this a, well, what do they say on, how did this get made? A Jacob's Ladder scenario. <laughs> well, it's, uh, he's not, I think it's what the story calls for. He's a, a constantly self-doubting uh, Walter Mitty, almost, but in a really negative way. Yeah, Walter Mitty is a... I have not seen that movie or read that book, so uh, I don't actually fully comprehend what that means. Do you want to... kind of a meek character. It was a James Thurber story originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it might have been for The New Yorker. I can't remember. That wouldn't surprise me. Uh, but it was a very brief uh, story about a man who escapes reality by constantly fantasizing that he's on adventures. Oh, okay. Places. And it's been made into several films, one with Danny Kaye and then another one recently. Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller, which yeah. wasn't bad, but it was just... It, it kind of missed the point of what this guy was supposed to be. But... Um, but yeah, it, it it kind of had that feeling, only it was a very negative kind of character, one who's constantly fantasizing about death. He's, yes. And we he, haven't described the plot yet. So. He is morbid. So right. we'll start the, first of all, it's a period piece set right. in 1969. It's October 30th when we open. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's his birthday. Which birthday? We don't know. Uh, 20? 21? Maybe? Somewhere around there. He's in college. Uh, he's in college. He's in I don't, he's at University of Maine and he's uh, studying art, or at least uh, he's in art classes. Yeah. His professor is Matt Frewer in a very brief performance. Right, I expected more, <laughs> but. Um, and he, uh, the lovely blonde nude model in front of them, he has rendered as a dead hag right. with a rotting face and the Grim Reaper, st- like, standing behind her with his hands on her shoulders. Right. Uh, to, much to the consternation of Matt Frewer, his art teacher, who's like, live life, love is great, and life is for the living and the loving and the everything's fine. And I'm like, you should send your student to the Behavioral Health Center. Oh, wait, it's 1969. That definitely doesn't exist. Uh, so... He, he's like, I just, I draw what I see. And I was like, first of all, he's very talented. Uh-huh. Or whoever has done this drawing right. is very talented. And also, he's done so much more than everybody else in the time allotted. Yes. I, I was impressed. I know you're the type of person who's like, I drew the lady. Now I'm drawing dinosaurs. Well, this was a, a <laughs> yes, a, a drawing class that we had. I yes. got impatient of drawing the model and... Having time left over, I just began doing dinosaurs. And dinosaurs it was as consternating to our art teacher yes. as this was oh. consternating to uh, Matt Frewer. And uh, he's there with his girlfriend, Jessica, who's played by Erica Christensen. Speaking of lovely and blonde. She is lovely and, and blonde. And she is photographed in such a way as to appear, and she literally appears at one point in the film as angelic. Yeah, as I guess if that's she right. Is going to be his saving angel yeah. all throughout this film. And all I could think was, Parenthood, Parenthood, Parenthood. I know this girl from Parenthood. Well, <laughs> she yeah. was in the television Parenthood. She was sisters to one Lauren Graham. Well, I don't. Was she sisters or sister in laws? Anyways, related by family at least. Uh, he thinks that, that, and this girl's name is Jessica, and they've been dating for however long, and she uh-huh. wants to date. Everyone, apparently. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, this is the, the free love generation, and so she wants to be free to love. Yes. And he's like, are you trying to break up with me? And she's like, I want to love everyone. And I'm like, that's not really an answer to his question. Uh, so then we see him in the tub in a very upsetting scene. Not because of what ends up happening, but because he is smoking a joint so weirdly. He's It's half in his mouth. What right. is happening? Y'all... Do drugs, right? Like, if you're well, going to put drugs in a movie... a technical consultant, I would imagine that Mick Garris, at least of all people, should know how to smoke a joint. I think and, and that's maybe, right. Maybe there's a period element that we're not aware of. No. At I, no point did you put that much of your joint I in your mouth. I do not partake on my own part, so I, I wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> and I'm not a joint roller or smoker, but it looks so gross. So he's in the tub, he's got a joint, he's got a... Very empty bottle, or mm-hmm. almost totally empty bottle of, uh, looks like Jack Daniels. Uh, and he is sort of blissed out, and he's contem- and then he picks up his razor, and he's contemplating cutting his wrist. He's got the razor in his hand, cutting his wrist. And then, as he's thinking about it, she bursts in with a surprise party into the bathroom, into the bathroom, and he cuts his wrist. By accident. Sure. Well, Who by knows? accident, because he was intending to actually do a better job of cutting his yes, wrist. Yes, I think but he, he was. Gets startled and he and he pokes be- before she comes in, he has. We we have seen him have conversations with another him. Uh huh. So he pops up as yes. a angel slash devil on his own shoulder. Uh huh. He's also had a conversation with the Grim Reaper. Who's basically like, do it, do it, do it, because well, he the, a dick. What I liked about this film is that uh, one of the things I liked about this oh, film. Oh, and then there are murals on the, the wall behind him. Was the art direction, because it very much looked like the artist apartments I visited when mm. I was a part of yeah. that scene in the 90s. Where everybody just paints and everything. And so there's just random things. There's all these figures painted on his walls, these women who. In, in, and it, the scene would have looked ridiculous, but it was completely fitting with the mood yeah. of, the fil- of the film. And the fact we know he's been drinking and right. smoking weed. Um, yeah, so the right. murals kind of come alive are, and are, are like, do it, Trying to do provoke it. him into, into committing suicide. Um, but then everybody bursts in, mm-hmm. and then he slits. And then he wakes up in the hospital. So at this point, we could be in a Jacob's Ladder situation. Right. This could be his dying... Experience. Well, we are several times in the film in a situation where we have no idea whether any of this is actually happening. Happening, yeah. And I, I'm aware of how frustrating that is sometimes for the audience. There's less of an investment because we were watching it on free TV. I'm sure if you had paid for this going, I have no idea what's going on, it yeah. might have been a little more frustrating. Yeah. Um, and I actually don't mind as long as things are wrapped up at the end. Like, tell me what ended well, up happening. Well, this like, film does a job of doing that. Yeah. So, you know, Jessica comes and is like, I was... You know, just trying to set you up for the for the surprise party. I wasn't really trying to break up with you, which she says, and I don't know if we believe her, but mm-hmm. she's not going to leave him now. But she does like she is like that was selfish. Don't ever do it again. Right. Um. I also don't really understand how he works up. Like he didn't cut his arm off. No. But apparently he lost consciousness enough that they wait. It's a weird jump. It's he, a strange jump. In this film, this character who. Apparently is um, can't grow a full beard. No, and just strange patches of hair at random places on his face. Um, he faints more than the the heroine of a Victorian novel. 
He doesn't he's, faint. Yes, he does. He faints in the graveyard. He faints when he's being hunted. There's several oh, occasions he? where he just is unconscious for one reason or another. And he might have multiple personalities. Well, he obviously is talking to somebody <laughs> over his shoulder the entire time. Well, no, he doesn't talk back. He knows that that's like the other him, he uh-huh. never responds to. Right. It's not very clear to me, at least at the beginning, that there isn't another character there because this is a Stephen King story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Although he never responds to it. So I just presume that it's a heavy handed way of doing an interior voice, except right. it is acknowledged by another character later. Right. So, so yeah, maybe, who's yeah. a ghost? So, hmm, Trixie. Maybe. Um, she, Jessica has given him for his birthday. Yeah, she gives him tickets to see John Lennon in Toronto. Um, John Lennon and the Rubberono Band. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he's released and he is picked up, I guess, by his two buddies who are just buddies. We don't have to worry about them too much because they fully abandon this motherfucker. So he's like, well, why don't you and I... Like, why don't the three of us go uh-huh. to this concert? Because one of his buddies is the one with the car. He does not have a car. Let's go on a road trip, and when we get there, we'll get our third ticket, and then we'll all get to go. Cool, scalping a ticket. Seems like a solid plan. But then he gets a phone call, and that phone call is from his mom's neighbor. You've had this type of phone call before. Mm. Whenever your parent's neighbor calls you, that shit is bad news. Yeah, don't pick up the phone. Just leave it there. You don't have to know. Um, and she has had a stroke. Uh, and sh- it looks like she's going to be fine. But it'd be good if he came home. And so he decides he's going to go home that night. He says, I'll come home tonight. And now it, this is the next day from the first day. So it is Halloween. It is Halloween day. Right. Um, so he gives the tickets to his buddies, who promptly drive away and allow him to hitchhike to Lewiston, which is where his mother is. Now, we should mention at this point that he finds out that Jessica is breaking up with him. She, he figures out that she right. really did want to, but now is feeling weird. And she's like, he's like, well, I'm not going to go to the concert with her. So, right. yeah, we're going to go together. It's going to be a boys trip. Here's the here's the question, and of course the answer to my question is because then there would be no movie. But my question is, what kind of fucked up person takes a dude's two birthday concert tickets and leaves him on his own to go to his sick mom's instead of driving him to his sick, mo- sick mom's, even on the way to the concert, even if it's the opposite direction? Right. It's an hour and a half drive to Lewiston. Right. That's what we have d- discerned, right? Uh the concert isn't the next day. It's that like it's in the weekend, and where it's earlier in the week than that. Mm-hmm. They could very easily have just driven him, dropped him, and then continued on to the concert. Even that, I would say, is fucked up. But it's not nearly as fucked up as what they actually do. I'm like, well, who would do it? These two stoner losers. These motherfuckers. Yeah. Now, of course, the reason that they don't do it is because then there's no movie. Right. <laughs> but it's. It's upsetting to me to be like, why do you surround yourself with fucking assholes and selfish mm. motherfuckers? Like, what is happening? So um, so he starts walking and holding this, you know, crooking his thumb out right. to get a ride down to Lewiston. And he has some flashbacks to his the funeral of his father when he was six years old. 
Uh, and then he envisions his mom dying. He envisions himself dying and uh, Jessica weeping at his grave. Uh, and then he is picked up in a Volkswagen van by a dude named Ferris, who is a deserter. Uh, he starts by saying, nah, I'm one of you, man. And he's lighting up a doobie and uh, driving. And then he's like, oh, were you in the service? And the dude says, no. But then he looks down and sees uh, like an army issue duffel with right. this dude's name on it. And um, as he's trying to like say, no, no, man, I'm one of you. I don't, they're trying to get me killed, this, that, and the other. He... Uh, I don't know, veers and thon coming lane. The the, I will say that I don't know where this was uh, filmed, but it's filmed in a in a location where the streets have no dots or dashes on them. Well, there's no so clear delineation. There's no delineation of, where of the lane. Lanes are including the lanes going in opposite directions. Right. And so it might be a function of the period, also. It, yeah, period, and I think um, rurality. And this scene <laughs> itself, this scene really convinces me how far. Mick Garris has come as a director because it's very funny. Uh-huh. The car spins out of control for an inordinately long amount so of time. Long. <laughs> during which the characters are just screaming in one note together yeah. um, as a two-man choir while it just keeps continually spinning, spinning out of control. And spinning it's and spinning. very yeah, funny. It's funny. And I thought that was a, just it a is. really well-constructed scene. Uh, and then they end up in a ditch. And Alan's like, uh, fuck you for almost killing me. And the dude's like, come on, man, everything's fine. And I'm like, I don't know how we come to that conclusion. And so Alan bounces, gets out, and continues on his hitchhike. Uh, and then he is having these flashbacks that are flashback cum hallucination right. it's very dark and the ground is wet it's unclear if it's raining because his hair is dry so it might just be wet road to indicate hey here's the road i have to put it on film and this is how you can tell where the road is um but he has these memories of this experience at this place called the thrill village where he was standing in line with his mother to go on this large wooden roller coaster called The Bullet. Hey guys, remember what this movie is called? <laughs> and at the last minute before they're getting on, he basically chickens out and his mom whacks him in the head for making her stand in the line that long mm-hmm. and not going through with it. Uh, and so we have this memory. And then he is walking through a cemetery. I don't know why. Why would you walk through a cemetery? He got a ride with a dude in between here, between Fer. Was it before Ferris? No, yes. it was. It was it, it, no, it was after Ferris. After Ferris, they're, they're leaving out. No, the one that you're reading, they're leaving out. Um, There's an old man who picks him up, who smells Cliff of Cliff Robertson. Oh, okay, yes, it's with, Cliff Robertson is uh-huh. the actor. Uh, he smells <laughs> of piss, and he keeps fucking with his junk, which is disconcerting. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's uh, supposed to go pick up his brother to take him. To Lewiston, maybe. Right. Uh, and he's like a weird dude, and um, Alan's sort of other half is like, you gotta get the fuck out of here. Like, this dude, there's something wrong with this guy. And he does come across a little bit pushy, although it's hard to tell if that's real or if it's just it Alan's seems like fear. He's having some sort of mental health issue yeah. himself, and so that 
the two of them in the car are a bad combination. Yeah. Yeah. He's driving, he doesn't have a clear location where he's going. He wants to take um he wants to take Alan all the way into Lewiston to see his mom. Right. But, uh, but at first he could only go as far as his brother because right. he had to get his brother into Lewiston. He's like, nah, fuck him, like at one point. And he's like, no, 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 that's well, fine. Well, being the man like, can't tell the difference between a, a, a parking lane and a curb. Yes. That's when Alan decides, yeah, no, I don't Yeah, no, just here. go ahead and let me out here. Um, I'm sure that I will be able to find another ride that is not a problem. And then he starts walking. And then... He's constantly second-guessing. Oh, maybe I was, you know, overly concerned, and right. I should have just stayed in the car with him, and then nothing no, nothing bad would have happened. And then, um, yeah, he's walking through a cemetery, and he comes across a grave of George Staub, whose marker indicates that he died two years ago that day. Uh, of course, it's ho- y'all, it's Halloween. He's walking. He's hitchhiking on Halloween. Of all the days not to hitchhike, this is the day. He's an urban... He's inside of an urban legend. <laughs> and... Um, then a car comes up, pulls over, lets him in, and he gets in it, and he's like, oh no. He's, first of all, he's like, this dude smells weird, which he's very sensitive to smells because he thought the, the old dude smelled weird too. His other self is like, that's a formaldehyde. This is George Staub, and he is definitely dead. And it's like, oh no. Which leads to George telling him a completely different urban legend. Yes. And so it's very weird. It becomes very meta, the whole thing for me. Yes. Because he's the opposite of the ghost hitchhiker, Right. right? Yeah. Presumably. He's the live hitchhiker in the ghost car. And at one point, oh, and this George Staub, of course, played by David Arquette. David Arquette. Who is dialed up to 11. Which is where David Arquette Arquette is most comfortable. And I think this role actually really works for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't... don't, I'm not overly fond of David Arquette. I think he can very easily lose focus. I I feel about him the same way that I feel about Nicolas Cage. I don't understand how people like that. Oh, yeah, no, I don't... I feel a totally different way about Nicolas Cage. I don't feel like my dislike for David Arquette is necessarily fair to David Arquette. It's uh-huh. just, it's, it's, it does feel along the same lines as my dislike of Bill Murray, which is this person makes me feel uncomfortable. Uh-huh. And it is likely because they remind me of something that happened to me at some point. And that is through no fault of their own. Mm. But I liked him in this, actually. And so he is the one who calls out Ghost Allen in the back, mm. <laughs> who's sitting behind them and going, you got to get out of this. you got to get out of this car. You can't let him know that you're... Like, he gives a, the, a lie name. He mm. gives his pudgy friend's name, Hector. He uh, lies about where he's going and why he's going there. Um, and he is trying really hard not to show his hand. But George, over here, keeps calling him by the right name. Right. And, you know, knowing these things that he's trying so hard, like, out loud saying, stop, like, here's what you got to tell him. Be cool. Don't let it on. But then he goes, and who is this dude? So right. he can see the the... Alter ego, alter no, ego, no, I don't or know the exactly yes, to say. yes, yeah. the the um, 
the invisible friend is not so invisible and not so silent. So right. he's hearing all of this that is happening. And he goes, what are you even, the angel or the devil on his right. shoulder? Like, which is a fair question. Right, because he hasn't given him really much in the way of good advice. No. Uh, and uh, George was then tells his story, and he was, in fact, decapitated in a car accident, which is not how he's made up because his cap comes off at one point or his cap is taken off uh-huh. and his brain is exposed. But that right. is not what we see has happened in the yeah. accident. Uh, he tried to pass a truck on a two-lane road and crashed into the produce truck. Smush. And then his head came off. But in this ghost, only the top of his head came off. And George basically is like, so you have to choose. And Alan's like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> he's like, I have to take somebody with me, uh, presumably to the afterlife. Not to hell, necessarily. Mm-hmm. They don't say that, but into death. And it's either you or your mom. So now Alan gets to choose whether he dies or his mom dies, which is pretty fucked up. He does say she's very old at 48, which hurt my fucking feelings. <laughs> Think about how I felt. You would already be dead as far as right. this guy is concerned. Um, and uh, if he doesn't make a choice, George says he'll take them both, which is a shitty, like, what? No. I don't, I, this was a part of it, too, where I just don't understand who George is supposed to be or why he has the ability to do this or why he gets to make these choices. Like, who are you and why are you dictating what people do? I guess he's the Grim Reaper. He's right. on duty at the moment. Yeah, well, no, it's no, not. Because we've it's seen never, the Grim Reaper. Well, uh, well we've, we've seen, seen a Grim Reaper. Reaper. Uh, so out, he blurts out, take my mom, mm-hmm. which is pretty fucked up. But also, I mean, yeah, he's a kid. Right. That is the correct order of death, to be fair. Like, I'm not saying sacrifice your parents. <laughs> No, but, you're not saying uh, it's more important to the economy for them oh, to get Jesus back out into work. And, yeah. yeah. No, my so, eye is going to start twitching. Uh, and uh, George throws him out of the car, and when he wakes up, he's back in the cemetery. So did any of that happen? Who knows? He goes back and hitches the next ride, which, because he doesn't learn. It doesn't no. anything else. Uh, he's about to see his mother, and... Uh, George appears and then beats him to the elevator. But it's fine. He goes up. He sees his mom. She's okay. She's surprised he's there because she said the weekend was fine. Right. Uh, and then we flash forward to Alan in his 40s, uh, saying that his mom recovered uh-huh. and ended up having a heart attack while watching television later on. They both look identical. His mom's played by Barbara Hershey, who I hadn't seen in a while, so that was cool. Right. Uh, he, she also apologizes to him for smacking him after the, or at the at the bullet. Like uh-huh. she's also been reminded of that experience um, because this whole thing that George says is one of you has to like you have to mm-hmm. ride the bullet. Riding the bullet apparently is going to, is dying. That's. Right. That's what the title means. One of those strange Stephen Kingisms. I'm not sure is an expression anywhere except where maybe Maine. I don't know. That's fine. Uh, so he says that he married Jessica, but it only lasted a while. I'm like, that's deeply shocking. 
He never made a living as an artist, but he paints as a hobby. And then he does go back at, to Thrill Village regularly, and he rides the bullet. Because all you have is today. So, you know, grab life by the cojones and get on the damn roller coaster. <laughs> Elfine! Well, now, it's a very slight story. It is. And it's filled with incidents. We didn't even recall all of them. You know, the, the, the strange adventure of the rednecks, I think, is another thing that happens where he's being chased by uh, some characters on the road. Oh, that's right. Yeah, um, they yell, get, get a job, F word, which I'm not mm. going to say. And then he yells, fuck you, which is the right answer, except those motherfuckers will stop their car and come back because right. they threw cans at him. They stop their car and, and chase him down a little right. bit. And they're he shooting at him with a shotgun. And, and there's, so there's that adventure. There's, I mean, there's so many, dig- it's almost like Tristam Shandy. There are so many digressions in this story where you think a story is happening, then another story happens, and it's not quite taking place, then another is taking place. And until in the end, you, you, you're not sure how much of this story has, has happened at all. Right. It's been very entertaining. It keeps you entertained It is entertaining. Way. It's not very long. It's only 98 minutes, and right. it goes pretty good because there's like a new thing happening every 10 right. minutes. It's full of incidents, um, really good performances. And the cast is great. I mean, Mick Garris appears in the film, Mick Garris' wife, who we last saw. Naked in, in a tub. Right. <laughs> I think she played a very sympathetic part in that film. I think she was very good in it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the performances are really good. Cliff Robertson, who's an amazing actor, turns yeah. in a real character performance. Yeah, everybody who's a character is a real character. Barbara Hershey is very good. There's a scene that she does. One of his, uh, de- uh, Alan's hallucinations is that she is crippled and he's going to have to take care of her for the rest of her life. Yes. And she's lying in bed squawking at him like a bird. Like a bird. It's really, it's an odd scene, but it's like... It's an like, odd scene, but it plays really well because does. She, she does a very wide-eyed, yapping kind of squawk at him. And it, it, it is very, that scene was funny and frightening at the same time. There's a lot of humor in this. Uh-huh. Um, it doesn't feel like it's trying, like it's not a horror comedy quite, yeah. but it definitely uses comedy to its good effect. And Mickey Cat, who I only ever see as a sleazeball, you know, he's a, he plays Ferris. Okay. He's actually very good. He, um, unfortunately, he, he tends to play kind of brooding, mean-spirited characters. I also really like the one scene that we have Matt, F- Matt Frewer in. I right. think he was, you know, there for a day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they didn't use him too much. But you know that guy. That's the guy yeah. from Art School Confidential. The, yes. You know, a Mr. What was his name? That Mr. Massingill? You know. Oh, Jesus. It was, not it, true. It was not subtle. It's no. a funny movie, but it's not subtle at all. No. But yeah, he's one of those guys. And um, and so, yeah, everything kind of... They is, named him Douche. That's <laughs> wild. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still if on If you it. have never seen Art School Confidential, it is a great follow-up to Ghost World. Um, and it's a very funny movie, but really mean-spirited. It's, yeah. But it's very funny. But, yeah, this film, there was a lot of good performances. It was a lovely film to look at. Yeah. There's a lot of very funny uh, bits to it. As a matter of fact, Mrs. Um, Mick Garris. Cynthia is in the film playing uh, Nurse Annie Wilkes. Yes, a that's right. That, which I thought was very funny, but you don't really 
It's not. It's For all not, intents and purposes, it's not. No, We're just they, like, look what we could do. We've got right. a nurse character. Let's do it. Yeah, so there's a lot of fun to this movie. Yeah. Uh, tagline, the dead travel fast. I don't I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, sure. Um, which is a line from Dracula, actually. Uh, I like the plot keywords. Nude model, uh, female nudity. Those are the first two, y'all. Well, it's the opening scene. Based on the works of Stephen King, birthday amusement park. So there you go. Yeah. It's everything you need to know. <laughs> I like the link to the roller coaster uh-huh. and how he was always afraid to get on it, and now he's not afraid to get on it. Um, I think that's an interesting little piece of information, uh, like character information. Right. Yeah, I think it was pretty good. I mean, it's fun. It's a fun watch. It's a fun watch, and it's just the right length and really very slickly and well produced. So I enjoyed it. You know, they took they took a forty eight hour or forty eight page book uh-huh. and turned it into a ninety eight page or ninety eight minute yeah screenplay, which feels about right, right? Like, and this is probably the first time I have to say, given Mick Garris's, as we've seen in the past with his other adaptations, his fondness for over the top special effects. Yeah. This actually worked. It worked here because so much of the story is internal and inside the head of this artist with an obviously overactive imagination that the, you know, phantom doubles and the people who fade and come to life and the weird makeup effects, all of that works in this film in a way that it didn't necessarily work in some of the others. Yeah. Where going over the top felt like he was doing too much. Here, going over the top feels completely appropriate. Um, yeah, I was reading the Variety thing um, review. They did not like it and said this, uh-huh. Jackson, this is word for word from the end of this thing. Uh-huh. So I, I apologize because this is rude and badly written. Jackson, the Emmy winning former thesp from the Sudzer General Hospital uh-huh. doesn't quite have the chops or adequate facial hair to play a brooding, tortured artist. Though he does have a gentle, unforced rapport with Christensen and Hershey, who are both underused. I would agree with that last line. Mm-hmm. I, the women are always underused, y'all. That's just the nature of this particular beast, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was fine. I think he was good. I think he was actually, like I said, he, was, he met the requirements for this part, which is to be sort of in, in sub, unsubstantial and kind of... It just, it felt like urban legend. Like, it felt well, like that kind again, of thing. That's what it is. It's an urban legend. Yeah. Inside, and we even get an urban legend. We get two of them inside of this story. And I'm good with it. Yeah, it, it's, but that's, it's not being pretentious, and it's very fun the way it turns it, as you said, instead of the vanishing hitchhiker, we have the vanishing driver. Right. So, in that respect, it's actually really, it, it also sort of turns it on its ear and it's fun. So, I don't understand having a problem with this film. Um, Sorry. I got a, just got a message from Stephanie. What is it? Are we done? We're wrapping up. <sighs> um, yeah. So I think I yeah I think that this is definitely worth a watch. It's free on Tubi and Crackle and Vudu. Like right. it's it's free on a lot of the free it's apps. It's not hard to find and it's worth the while. Yeah, and like I said, it's short, mm-hmm. so it's fun. And it'd be a fun thing. I mean, now might not be the thing. This might be a fun like Zoom watch, a right. fun watch to get on yeah. your, on with friends, have a drink, laugh at the ridiculousness of how they smoke a joint, and but, uh, la- the film is meant to be laughed with too. Yes. 
It I was understands. laughing. I was it's... not laughing at the film as much as laughing with the movie because there's a wink going there's on. There's a big wink I going mean, on. When the painted uh, when the paintings... flapper girls yeah. on your bathroom wall are talking to you, obviously that sort of sets yeah. the pace for what you're gonna uh, see and what you're gonna experience. It's not like it came as a surprise where there's a huge shift in mood where suddenly we're in the middle of a very heavy film where we're expecting something light or vice versa. This was it, it hit the right note. It delivered on what it promised. Yeah. So. No, I thought I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. So fingers crossed. Next week, hopefully, we're going to watch Kingdom Hospital. Probably all right. not all of it, right? It's a thirteen no, no, episode no, it's thing. Too long, yeah. Uh, I don't know how we're going to find it. So stay tuned. If we have to uh, skip it for whatever reason, uh-huh. we're going to try and come back to it. If um, if we do move past it, then the next thing that we have is the remake of Salem's Lot with okay. Rob Lowe uh, from 2005. So, uh, Which I that, remember as being pretty good. But that I, I might be remember. the next thing we watch, but I'm we're, we're supposed to be watching Kingdom Hospital. Kingdom Hospital. I just haven't been able to find it uh-huh. anywhere, and the DVDs are also not available currently. So um, if anybody knows where I can get that, let us know. Uh, you can email us latecomerspod at gmail.com or tweet at us uh, at latecomerspod on Twitter. Oh, we're also on Facebook. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Like, that's what I look at more than anything right. else. But I do get pings on the emails. So if you have or know where Kingdom Hospital is and want to help us, that would be awesome. Do you have anything to recommend? Um, no, because I think I've recommended the things that I've been watching. Things you've been watching, I, yeah. yeah. I, I just I haven't. Up. We used to go to the movies fairly often, and sometimes as many as two or three times a week. And so now that's completely cut out of our schedule. We can't do that anymore. As a matter of fact, AMC seems to be writing emails saying, we're so sorry this is going on. Yes. Um, that, here's here's $5 of credit if you buy $25 to buy movie passes for streaming, for rentables, right. because they're just like... Yeah. Yeah. But um, but yeah. So uh, unfortunately, without on my schedule, I don't. I, I you know I don't really have much to recommend. Haven't been watching. Yeah. I'm gonna recommend a podcast. Okay. Because uh, I have been watching a lot of stuff, but it's not a lot of good stuff that I want other people to listen to. But if you don't know the podcast Blank Check, which would be surprising. But there's a podcast called Blank Check. It's called Blank Check with Griffin and David. It started as a Star Wars podcast, and then it morphed into a podcast about the filmographies of various directors. Uh-huh. I'm listening to the very first uh, set from back in 2016 okay. about the films of M. Night Shyamalan. So these are recent directors. This is not like... Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, they do Shyamalan, they do Spielberg, they do Demi, they do George Miller, they uh-huh. do... There's a, there's a whole bunch, right. y'all. Uh, and so you could listen to them by chunk. Yesterday, I just listened to all of their Oscar episodes. They have five of them. I listened to all of them back to back, which was a little wild because I was like, oh, yeah, that movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I got some good recommendations for things that I hadn't seen. So that's fun. Uh, so... For a recommendation, four recommendations. Blank check with Griffin and David. Okay. Uh, it's pretty good. Entertaining. My second favorite Griffin in podcasting. Sorry, Griffin Newman. You haven't reached Pete Griffin yet. Uh, I'm McElroy Stan all the way. That didn't make any sense to you. I already mm. gave our how-tos. So, 
I guess that brings us to the end where I remind you, wash your hands and take your medicine. And we remind you, better late late than never. never.